without further ado let's get started this morning uh, we are presently looking at the subject of volition uh, the ability to choose that has been given to us by the Lord God Almighty and with that the responsibility for our decisions and as we look at the world today we find out that very clearly there's an attack on that because everybody wants to blame everybody else someone something bad potty training uh, poor mom poor dad Did anybody have a perfect mom and dad if you did you haven't quite evaluated properly okay uh, have you been a perfect mom and dad if you have you haven't quite evaluated properly Okay, we know that because we all have sin natures that we got from Adam, the first member of the human race, and he passed it down to every member of the human race, no matter what skin color they may have, no matter what social uh, society they may be from, no matter what nation they may have been born in or grew up in or anything else. And what we have is accountability set up for our decisions. Now, God makes himself accountable for decisions. One thing about God, he's not a hypocrite. Uh, hypocrisy is, is um, uh, listed down here with uh, mankind or humanity, as they try to get you corrected to say. I mean, that's where hypocrisy is found. With God, there is no hypocrisy. He is who he is. He says what he means. He expects us to obey it. And what, how do we come to understand this, this amazing God that we serve and, and realize we only see in a mirror not fully understand his ways? So before we begin with this, let's take a few moments for prayer to get ourselves ready to take a look at the Word of God. Let us pray. <clears throat> Father, again, we're blessed and honored and privileged to be able to come together and open up your word. And Father, we know that um, pressure is getting ready to come upon us, that persecution for being followers of our Lord Jesus Christ is coming our way. It's just a matter of time. It's not if, it's when. So Father, I know that the only way, and as you have revealed, for us to be prepared for this pressure is to be through your word. So, Father, we pray that this morning you'd take this portion of your word, help us understand it, help us to remember it, and help us use it wisely, that you might be glorified. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we looked, first of all, at the will of God. <clears throat> We've looked at the five areas of the will of God, which is his sovereign will, his overruling will, his perfect will, his directive will, and his permissive will. And he has molded all these together into an amazing plan. Uh, God is omniscient, so he can't not know something. So he knows all of the things that will happen and all of the possibilities that could have happened had we made other decisions. In fact, one of these days in eternity, <clears throat> of course, it won't be a day in eternity, not like we know it. We're not going to get tired and go to sleep and uh, wish we were wish he was done talking. When we ask a question, we'll ask what what would have happened if this would have happened? If I'd have made this stupid decision over here instead of this better decision over here, what what course of action would it have taken me? And he'll be able to tell us because he knows everything. He knows how it will play out. He also knows how it could have played out. But he, in his infinite wisdom and eternity past, and what are called the divine decrees, decided 
and he was going to give his creation the ability to decide he decided to manifest his essence in uh, four different ways through matter creature space and time and we're able to observe and see that by making creatures by making time a duration of time by creating matter and space to distinguish them from each other so he chose to do that first on the scene were the angels we've looked at that already next on the scene was humanity that is adam and eve and the rest of the the race that followed after them and then uh he revealed himself he revealed himself i believe first through the stars then he had it written down under moses and so we have a direct revelation uh, from god himself of who he is and he has challenged us to find out who he is he says seek me with all your heart and you're going to find me see it puts a, the honest on us doesn't it to to for us to do something in a sense seek him he's not under obligation to reveal himself to people that don't seek him now why would we do that because we want to know who's the designer behind the design of all these beautiful things we look at there's a lot of different reasons we would want to do that why did the stars come back to their same position on an annual basis why why do things happen like this there must be a designer do you want to know him if you want to know him you started to seek him if you start to seek him what did it say you're going to find him so sadly people just put all that aside and in this society we're in right now they're going after the four divine institutions uh, totally and completely and a big part of what they're going after is accountability for your own decisions and actions that's a big part of it they want to make everybody else responsible for what you decide to do and and that's just not the way it is so what does the bible have to say about it well the will of man we've got into we've got to point five under this so far the quick review the source of the ability to decide in man is god he's the one that gave us this ability to decide now he didn't decide for us see that's where the line is drawn he could have made creatures that were just little robots that walked around going praise god all day long and they were little ro that would not have been a uh that wouldn't have been an honest love because something about love that we find revealed in scripture about god himself who is love we find that it's honest it's truthful it's real it's not manufactured none of those none of those things not hypocritical uh, romans 12 9 says the love which is love anupokrites without hypocrisy no verb in there it sets up a definition the love we're looking for which primarily is the love of god should be without any false faces you're not going to fool him i'm not going to fool him we can't fool him because he already knows it it's a waste of time i remember jacob genesis uh, 37 or so somewhere along in there trying to bribe god you remember that if you'll just do this for me i'll surely give a tenth to you okay <laughs> well why not 25 <laughs> percent okay and we was trying to bribe him see what the cost was uh just kind of like abraham if there be 50 how about 40 right how about 
Well, that's the way we do things. That's the sin nature. The source of the ability to decide in man is God. He gave us that ability to decide. Accountability is very clearly spelled out. Romans 1 is one of the key passages. It says nobody has an excuse. You know, you want to know the Creator? He's revealed through what He has made. And so if you want to know Him, yeah, you can find Him. But if you don't want to know Him... He's not under a responsibility to let you know. But interestingly enough, he's going to do that anyway, didn't he? And he say that he's going to send it out through the whole world. There's a human accountability. Then there is some biblical vocabulary we looked at. We're going to see some more of that. We saw the freedom to choose, the fact that we've been given freedom to choose. It was for freedom. Christ set us free. Keep standing firm. Don't be subject again to a yoke of slavery. He and Joshua 24, 15, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We'll make that decision. He was the leader, and he said, we will serve the Lord. Um, multiple passages. Now, this is where we are. And I think you're going to find on the next page of your handout a big chart. Now, <clears throat> if it's there, I see it's there. Okay. You may want to go back and forth and refer to this as we go through it. And then when I go through the points, we're going to put it together in the chart and see exactly where it fits. But this chart will help understand how things work together. Now, there are absolute standards for good and bad. God has set and established those. Some choices that we make are absolutely good. Others are absolutely bad. And they're evidenced in the Greek by the Greek word kalos, which means it's inherently good in and of itself. And it's compared to the word kakos, just one letter change actually in the Greek, K-A-K-O-S. It means inherently bad. Now God speaks about certain actions. He is defined with certainty whether or not specific thoughts, speech, and actions are absolutely good or absolutely bad. When God lays out his directive will, this is what I want you to do and how I want you to do it. This is what I don't want you to do or how to do it. What he is saying is that these are absolutes. Now, what does the world say right now? There are no absolutes. Of course, I like to, I love for somebody to say that to me because I'll go, are you absolutely sure about that? Because you've just made a statement that is inherently contradictory to itself. It is self-contradicting because it's an absolute statement that there are no absolutes. So it cannot be true. If you've been taught anything about logic and how to arrive at reasoning, you'll learn that inherently contradictory statements are not true. Blue is not red. Okay? You make a, a dogmatic statement like that, and it's just false. Well... Hmm. There are no absolutes. Well, there are <laughs> absolutes because the opposite of that is true. That's an absolute statement, and that you can, you can prove. Now, this would include everything that God has revealed about himself, which will define good and bad. If he's revealed it about himself, revealed it about his Son, his Holy Spirit, his plan, his eternal judgment, 
moral issues just to mention a few of the topics if god has spoken about a matter and revealed his will then then these are absolute good and absolute evil statements um, you shall have no other gods besides me how would you view that absolutely evil if you choose other gods besides him right if you choose him it's absolutely good because that is his revealed will that's what he has what he has spoken his standards or uh, gives praise to his name and that which is pleasing in our in his sight our objective should be to do that which is pleasing in his sight why because even believers one day are going to give an account as to their battle with the power of sin in their lives second corinthians chapter 5 verses 9 and 10 says Therefore we, this is Paul and his traveling entourage, his group, hopefully all believers, but by context it's just the we that is Paul and his traveling entourage. And he says, he said, but we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent. Now, the context there, at home or absent, we have this earthly tent that's being torn down. You remember that? passage and it needs to be renewed day by day it's an earthly tabernacle is being toward whether home or absent whether we're in the body or out of the body because in 5 7 to be absent from the body is to be home with the lord we walk by faith not by sight actually it's 5 7 be absent from the body is to be home with the lord but we make it our ambition whether at home or absent to be pleasing to him why for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. For what purpose? That we may be recompensed for our deeds in the body, whether they're good and acceptable or whether they're worthless. Now that is a passage about eternal rewards, which he had taught the Corinthians in the first letter in chapter 3. He taught them about eternal rewards. Believers, you know, it's a good thing to stand in front of the judgment seat of Christ because that means you're saved for all of eternity. If you're in front of a great white throne, that's not a good place to be because it's too late. You're lost for all of eternity. But if you have believed in Jesus Christ, you're standing in front of the judgment seat. And you know, 1 John 2.28 says, we could be ashamed standing there. Some people say no believer will ever be ashamed standing before the judgment seat of Christ. But that contradicts 1 John 2.28 because we don't want to stand there in shame now how would a believer stand there in shame because they live their life more in the permissive will than in the directive will of God his directive will is that you love him with all your heart soul mind and strength and you love your neighbors yourself and if you were a self-centered narcissist like the rest of the world seems to be then guess what that would be shameful wouldn't it now how long will that last you know, he's not going to hang a badge on you for eternity. You know, if you had a whiteboard on your chest here, what might happen? You stand there and you go, well, I know what's on that whiteboard. I live for me instead of him. And you know what he's going to do with that? Erase it. Why? He paid for it. We are family. We are new creation. There is no longer any sin now an absolute standard 
for purposes of comparison is required to determine which decisions are righteous and which are evil because if you don't have an absolute standard what remains is purely opinion where the world is now is thinking that they are God that needs some explanation why are they thinking they're God they are thinking that they can define absolute righteousness that is based on public opinion absolute righteousness is based on God's opinion what does he say is right what does he say is wrong not what the polls say because as we have seen polls can be manipulated <clears throat> people take the same set of data and interpret them different directions you know it's amazing how well so many percent of so many percent they are in favor of whoever and then another group would say well so many percent of so many percent are opposed to whoever okay whatever one they want to emphasize is what comes out of their mouth now truth cannot be based on public opinion because the majority is usually wrong think of it the majority thinks that morality is just a relative thing based on your culture and your background that's where the majority is right now but that's just as wrong as it gets various uh, uh, the absolute standards are revealed in the word of God 2 Timothy 3 16 and 17 I hope this is a part of your soul because it says all scripture is God breathed what is it hard to understand about all scripture is God breathed and it is profitable it's valuable to you, it's valuable to me, it's valuable to those around you. For what? Doctrine. Doctrine, what doctrine? Not dogma that is put together by opinions of men in the church. Doctrine is that which comes directly from the Word of God. For doctrine, for reproof. Now, if we were all perfect, we wouldn't need per reproof, would we? But how many times, I don't know if any of you ever had parents that said, No, 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 that's bad and never told you why it's bad hey God doesn't just tell you well it's bad that's reproof it says for correction okay well what's right <laughs> if I'm going in the wrong direction what is the right direction so the word of God is inspired of him for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction in how to be more loved by everybody on the planet not, not quite is it for instruction in righteousness why so the man or person of God can be mature in other words you're born again you're born a believer and it takes a while to grow up because the penalty for sin has been erased in your life but the power of sin is still very present and mature people don't fall prey to the power of sin as much as immature people do that might be mature thoroughly furnished for self-serving actions not hardly is it for every good work we know every good work does not include th doing things for selfish ambition or empty conceit Philippians 2.3 so we are, we are called to do that Hebrews 4.12 I love that verse too the word of God is alive and powerful remember that one sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow it's a judge of the thoughts and intents of the heart 
not just the actions. See, the Lord really shocked the Pharisees, didn't he? Because they thought it was all about the actions. And they said, no, it's not. The heart's part of this too. The Lord's interested in the heart. Various authorities, depending on the individual society, have been given the power by God to establish laws. But these laws should not contradict God's laws that are established for particular dispensations, which are different periods in, in uh, time, distinguished by a different biblical priesthood. Now, <clears throat> there's orders to obey the laws of the land <clears throat> in which you are living. Romans 13, verses 1 to 7, at all. There's other passages in there. <clears throat> You're supposed to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. They, the nations have the right given by God to tax. Okay? But if they contradict the laws of God, then you, claim, then you appeal to a higher authority. It's just like in our land, we have a constitution. And whenever things get messed up on lower levels, which they frequently do in the states, then what, what is the correct procedure? You appeal to a higher authority, which is not those nine people sitting on the bench. It is what is written down in the document that founded this particular country. That's the way it works. What in that document is contradictory to the laws of God? If there is things, they need to be amended and thrown out. That's what needs to happen. But what about the laws that are made by state, city, local governments? If they violate God's laws, you, you obey God's laws. Reference Daniel, book of Daniel. When he was ordered not to pray, what did he do? He opened his windows and prayed. Kind of like don't sing in a public parking lot without your mask on. I guess you may have seen that one. People got arrested for singing psalms in a private parking lot for violation of the mask order. You think we're not far away from, that we're a long way away from persecution? Don't think so. Here it comes. It's not that it's coming, folks. It's that it's already here. It's just a matter to what extent. The scripture does not set, where the scripture does not set an absolute standard, there's freedom to function. Romans 4.15, Romans 5.13, very important verses. Where there is no law, there is no sin. Now, what do legalists do? They make it up as they go. They make up laws as they go. They're going to say, well, you can only sing certain kinds of hymns with certain kind of, of music to it, certain, certain type of, of beat. And I've... I've I don't want to go down that road. I'll never get back. We have the freedom to sing. And we can use different beats. Because you know the words are the important thing. That's where the content is to be found. Is in the, is in the lyrics. Now the, the musical tunes. They take different forms. Based on different cultures. If they communicate to that culture doctrinal truth then they should be viewed as good 
Now, I can rightly say I don't prefer some types of <laughs> the Christian music. doesn't fall into my wheelhouse. I don't care for it. But that's not my business to declare that unrighteous because the Scripture does not. It's interesting, we have 150 psalms that are all collected into a book, plus other songs that are collected, like Exodus 15, the Song of Moses. We have wonderful songs there. You know, there's not an inspired musical score to be found anywhere in the Scripture. Not that I've seen. People take Isaiah 53 and turn it into different, uh, they, they add music to it, turn it into a beautiful picture of the, the suffering servant. I mean, it's uh, amazing to see. Now, uh, now that I've just about killed, I haven't killed the hour yet, don't worry. That's point one for today. <laughs> These things are important, and I, I'm trying to exp expand them out enough so we get a grasp of it, because getting a better understanding of the way God has designed things to work, I think will help us to, to deal with things as we, we come up to them. Now, there are violations of absolute standards. What happens when that happens? There's a list of things found in the New Testament absolutely not pleasing inside the Lord. Okay? How do we know that? He told us. Mark chapter 7, right out of the mouth of Jesus. Verse 21, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness, all these kakos things, inherently evil things, proceed from within and defile the man. That's Jesus speaking. Okay? What he just told us? These are viewed as inherently evil by the Lord God Almighty. That's a pretty good list, isn't it? It's interesting how a lot of people say, well, I don't do that, I don't do that. But he start, notice what he started with there? Evil thoughts. Where was he at? With his disciples, eating with unwashed hands. And who are they being corrected by? The Pharisees, known hypocrites, who tried to get around the law of Moses by means of the scribes, who were the attorneys that were taught to twist things around. And so he just hit it real clear these things are not pleasing to God how about Galatians 5 the deeds of the flesh are evident which are immorality impurity sensuality idolatry sorcery enmity strife jealousy outburst of anger disputes dissensions factions envying drunkenness there are a lot of things God doesn't like isn't there envyings drunkenness carousing <laughs> now carousing we need a little explanation I can't slide past that that word is the word that was used by the uh, Greeks of a big drinking party that would proceed down the street uh, yelling singing songs and doing it was a fraternity parties really what it was and that's it was uh, that's the came out as carousing because they didn't know what else to do with it but the words are interesting were and things like these it's not an exhaustive list of which I forewarn you as I have forewarn you those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God they're not going to have an inheritance why because they're not doing any divine good they're functioning in the permissive will of God. They're doing things that are not pleasing in His sight. And they're going to lose 
any gold, silver, or precious stones they might have had. Same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, another long list written by Paul. Colossians 3, verse 5, considers the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality. Here are these words again. Impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed that amounts to, amounts to idolatry. There are things that are not pleasing to the Lord. A careful examination of each context indicates believers can and do commit these sins. And they need to confess them to God. What happens when you go, oh, I just thought a bad thought about that worthless slime bag over there. <laughs> and we catch ourselves, 1 John 1, 9. Okay? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We, need, we don't need to do it publicly. We need to, we need to go in front of the throne of grace because God already knows it. He already knows it. It's not for His benefit. We are not enlightening Him. We're just saying, yeah, it was a sin, and I agree with you. It was a sin. But see, not just confess, but try to correct where possible the error. I don't think it's just one of these things that we just can use confession of sin as a license to sin. I don't think God ever intended that, ever. And so here is we recognize that it is a problem. We don't want to do it again because it is not pleasing in his sight just like Paul called us to be the sins won't cost them their eternal life but they will cost eternal rewards time in sin is wasted time to a believer it's what he meant by redeeming the time in Ephesians chapter 5 now <clears throat> salvation through obedience how, does sal how, how do you get saved from the penalty for sin through obedience to God. Is it by pushing all that sin out of your life? That's power of sin that you're battling. But obedience, salvation from the penalty for sin through faith in Jesus the Messiah is righteous. For you to believe is an act of righteousness. Why? Because the sovereignty of God told us to. What are we called to do to be saved? Believe in the Son, and you shall be saved. Whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So whenever we do that, it is an act of obedience that we are doing when we put our faith there. It's interesting because with all the things that say where there is no law, there is no sin, and some people would say, well, that's an act that you have to do, and therefore it is disqualified, and that's part of what some people try to do to say God will force you to believe and all those other things. Now that, that actually doesn't uh, go with it because it is an act of righteousness that he's called us to do but as king he had to prescribe it or people would have said well there's no law and where there's no law there's no sin and there is a sin that will keep you out of heaven it is the sin of unbelief in the Lord Jesus Christ it's called the unpardonable sin called blasphemy of the Holy Spirit there is a sin that will keep people out of heaven but you know praise the Lord it's not envying covetousness drunkenness it is not any of those sins immorality impurity sensuality sorcery it's not any of those sins that will keep you out of heaven 
It's failure to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ that will keep a person out of heaven. The effect is <clears throat> the, to, to obey is the best decision that could ever be made. The effect is guaranteed eternal redemption from the penalty for sin. Romans 3, 22 and to 20, uh, 22, 23, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction. You don't have God's righteousness. You need it. We all need it. We all are lacking the righteousness needed to stand in front of a holy God. And we can't earn it. Because we're born behind the eight ball, so to speak. We can't earn this. We can't earn it. So what does God do? Abraham believed God and it was imputed to him righteousness. It's an act of faith. And he says, here it is. I'll give it to you. I'll credit it to your account. And once he does that, see, that's paid in full, never to be taken. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the instrument of the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. See, the wording is very clear. Passages from Romans 3 to 5 is what got Martin Luther to walk out of that monastery and nail those theses to the Wittenberg door. He was studying Romans 3 to 5. He was studying it in Romans. He was studying it in the, the uh, we assume, the original languages. At least he had a Latin translation. But all those old guys knew Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. I mean, especially those monks. They were taught that. And so he's reading it and he's going, this is not what they've been telling me. This is not by me joining a visible organization. That's not how I get into heaven. How I get into heaven is purely by the grace of God. Purely. And he understood that. And he said, this is wrong. And he led what we know as the Reformation. Now, any suffering you received when you follow Christ in attitude, speech, and actions is called undeserved suffering. Because it's clearly not discipline for sin. Some of the things that we do is discipline for the sins we commit. Okay? That's clearly, but Peter writes about it. He says, let none of you suffer as an evildoer. Okay? Because you did evil and you're bearing the penalty, especially from the governmental authorities, because you, you did it. Does the government have the right to set speed limits? Yeah. Do you agree with them all the time? <laughs> you obey them all <laughs> we don't need to go there <laughs> government has every right to set speed limits every right to set fines every right to police it every right to enforce it every right to do that so you can't say that that doing, government, government's doing that is a sin because God gave them the authority to do that because certain things are needed for an orderly society to function See, <clears throat> so if you get caught speeding and get a ticket, is it deserved suffering or undeserved suffering? I think it's called deserved suffering. Now, what happens if it gets dismissed? That's called grace <laughs> and mercy, is it not? That's what, that's what it's called. But what, are we accountable? Now, I could blame everybody else. It was not clearly marked. 
It wasn't clearly marked. I should be doing 25 miles an hour in a residential area. It wasn't clearly marked there. Of course, that's part of the driving test that you take. What are the speed limits in residential areas? So it's, it, and I can find a million reasons. Well, I was in a hurry, or I had to go to the bathroom. I mean, any number of things like that, they don't, don't excuse us. And then there are relative standards. Oh, what fun. It was for freedom Christ set us free. Galatians 5.1, keep standing firm. Do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. 5.13, though, don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. Through love, serve one another. Okay. Paul realized it when he wrote Galatians, I believe the first book he wrote, called the Magna Carta of Christian Liberty. And he said, here it is. Okay. All right. You're free. You're free from that penalty forevermore. But don't start making stupid choices just because you can. Some choices are good or bad relative to the circumstances of life. Now, there's battles go on. What, what, what you're getting here is hopefully some wisdom applied to verses that seem to cause people problems. Because I'll tell you, they argue about this in seminaries. They give it uh, credence. Are there, is everything absolutes? Are there relatives? Is spirituality absolute spirituality or relative spirituality or what is it? And they argue and fight over this stuff in, in seminaries all over the land. Some people call them cemeteries. But some things are good or bad relative to the circumstances of life. These decisions are relatively good or bad is evidenced by the Greek words agathos and poneros. Now see, what is absolute good and bad? Kalos, absolute good. Kakos, absolute bad. What is relatively good or bad based on its use? Agathos and poneros, relatively bad. Bad in its effect, good in its effect. The good within them include good, better, or best. And the bad choices include bad words. Five thirteen to fifteen, uh, sixteen to twenty-three. That's the comparison of the uh, walking by the Spirit. You'll not carry out the desires of the flesh because the deeds of the flesh are evident. We've already seen those verses. And then it talks about walking by the Spirit. And uh, what is that? Walking by the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. It tells us the 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 good and the bad. Now. Relative decisions cover areas not specifically addressed by Scripture, such as your vocation. Did Scripture tell you what to become in life? I don't find anywhere it did. I heard about a guy that was reading the Bible one time, and it said and they went down to the sea in ships, I think it was Issachar, and he decided he was going to join the Navy because it was God's will for his life. Well, it didn't come out of that verse. Okay, Vocation. Uh, hygiene. Hmm. Scripture, how long you should take a bath? Did this thing stop again?
we'll try it again. Any better? Okay. Hi, Jane. Diet. Hmm. Does it say anything about diet in the New Testament? Clothing? What an array of clothing we have in here today. And See, if you want to wear a red sock and a blue sock, you're free to do that. Scripture doesn't address that. People might think you're a little weird, but it's not sin. Why? They're relative choices to the circumstances or environment. I used to think, boy, that was really crazy. And if I caught myself with a red sock and a blue sock, because sometimes in early morning you just don't can't see well enough to know what they are. And so you put those things on, and then some people be highly embarrassed. I just laugh about it. We're going to laugh later. Have you ever noticed that? A lot of the things we do that are stupid things, we laugh about them later. Why don't we laugh about them then? I mean, just go with the flow. We have the freedom. You can explain somebody called you on it, so I have the freedom to do that. Anyway, shelter. Where do you live? How do you live? How do you choose to live? Some people like houses one way. Some people like houses another way. Some people live in tents. What does the scripture say about it? Don't worship it. <laughs> okay, Whatever it is. Economics. What do you spend your money on? Hmm. And personal preferences in general. See, there's a lot of things that fall into that realm of relative. And in that realm of relative, there are good decisions, better decisions, and best decisions. Okay? And uh, there are also bad decisions. Bad decisions getting compounded into worse decisions. And then even being the worst decision. I guess one example, quick example since I have run out of time. Judas. Okay. It was a bad decision to decide to betray the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord even told him it was. He said it had been better for that man not to have been born. Okay. Bad decision he made. What was worse? He went through with it. Went and got the 30 pieces of silver and betrayed him. That was a worse decision. You know what the worst one was? When he hanged himself. Because the Lord was probably paying for his sin while he was hanging himself. Interesting from a tree that broke. But the Lord's didn't break, did it? Bad, worse, and worst. Now, how about good, better, and best? The decision to go to the cross, right? Is going to be bad. But he went there, he made the decision, he laid down his life for us. Better decision, okay? Best decision, it's done, it's finished. It affected every member of the human race if they wanted to. It bought salvation for everyone who would ever live. It's a whole thing of the good, better, and best decisions and the bad, worse, and worse decisions. And see, then we get into lawful and profitable. All things are lawful, Paul says, but not all things are profitable. That can give you some trouble. You know, you, you could have the freedom to do something really stupid. Have you ever noticed that? 
I know you haven't ever done anything really stupid, even though you have the freedom to do it. But I'm sure you have noticed other people doing things that are just totally stupid. Huh. All things are lawful. They're not going to cost you your salvation. But not all things are profitable. They come with a price. See, that's what we're looking at when we're trying to figure out how God gave this ability to decide to human beings and then how it works. We're trying to understand Him better. And I hope as we understand Him better, we thank Him all the more. Thank Him all the more for this privilege of knowing that He loves us absolutely, totally, and completely, and we can love Him back with the same type of love. With a pure love, a sincere love, a real love, an honest love, we can do that. And you talk about, a, I guess, the best decision. How about the best place you can be for all of eternity? And why not get a taste of it now? To love Him in return as He loves us. It's just a little taste of it right now. That should be worth it all. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this day. Once again, your goodness and grace. Once again, your amazing word. Once again, all of your blessings. And, Father, we pray we'll take this information we've learned today and that we will make it our ambition to do that which is pleasing in your eyes. Because one day we will stand in front of our Lord and we don't want to be ashamed when we do. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.